Thank you, Randy. Would you stand with me as we read from God's Word? We have those opportunities and we don't want to waste them. We're going to turn to the book of Hebrews this morning, chapter 11, and read verses 23 through 29 as Pastor Bruce continues this series on Don't Waste Your Life, making our life count this week. Again, we're in Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 23 through 29. I'm going to paperclip mine right there. All right. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. And by faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. Let's pray. God, through your word this morning, challenge us. Challenge us to not waste our lives, Lord, that... When we come to the end of them, Lord, and we come face to face with you, Lord, we can say that our lives counted, God, that we lived by faith. God, stretch us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as Kirk said, we uh, want to resume our series that we began two weeks ago that we're calling Don't Waste Your Life. And uh, the emphasis of this series is really how to make our lives count. And not just count for the temporary, but really how to make them count for eternity. How to make them count for the kingdom of God. And, uh, and as a way of illustration, I want to begin is with the paperclip, hopefully, that everybody took. So, everybody have a paperclip. Hold your paperclip up. How many got blue ones? Yeah, all right, the blue. How many got the pink or the reddish color? Anybody? Yeah, you like that? How many got the green? The greens? All right, yeah. And I think there's, is there other color? Purple. The pur- oh, the purple. The K-Staters. Yeah, then there's silver. And a variety of colors in these paper. I kind of like them. I like the bigger ones and the colored ones. Do you guys like those? And you're probably wondering, now, what in the world is he passing out paper clips for? Why do I have this in my hand? Well, let me explain. The famous insurance company, Lloyd's of London, how many have heard of it? I thought so, is known around the world for its policies of insuring almost anything and everything. In fact, several actors, for example, have various body parts with Lloyd. Singers have insured their voices and athletes have insured their legs. If the price is right, basically Lloyd's of London has a policy they will sell to you. Lloyd's of London has one sector of its company, though, that does nothing but research on almost every conceivable topic, ranging from what makes your knuckles crack to whether winos are more likely to go bald than college professors. But one of their research projects caught my attention. We could call it the rise and fall of the paperclip. Lloyds of London did some research in which they followed, get this, 100,000 paperclips to see how they were used. 
What Lloyd's uncovered in their paperclip study is, well, it's quite shocking. Following 100,000 paperclips, they found approximately 14,163 were bent and twisted during telephone conversations. I'm sure they would also find, if they did the study today, that there would be some bent and twisted during a sermon. We'll see. They found that another 5,434 were used as toothpicks or ear scratchers. Although the same paper clip was seldom used for both. Some 3,916 were used to clean pipes. An additional 5,308 paper clips were used to clean fingernails. A fairly large number of paper clips, 7,200, were used to hold together various pieces of clothing. Anybody done that before? Yeah. Um, 19,143 paper clips were used as chips in a card game. Yeah, you know, penny poker or whatever the case may be. A full 25,000, though, fell ingloriously to the floor when they were swept away with the rest of the trash. But the real surprise was only about 20,000 of the original 100,000 paper clips were ever used to clip paper together. Now you're probably thinking, man, that is so fascinating, Bruce. Thanks for sharing all that information with us. Well, I begin with this expose of the rise and fall of the paper clip because in a real way, it represents our lives. If you think about it, a paper clip, what you hold in your hand, it's a fairly remarkable creation. It's only one piece of wire that is bent and twisted three times, and yet nothing can do what a paper clip does as cheaply and efficiently as a paper clip. Scripture teaches, do you realize this, that you are a marvelous creation as well. Psalms chapter 139 verse 14 says that you and I, we are fearfully and wonderfully made by our creator God. You are created by God with a grand design. We have a great purpose and plan that God has given to each of us. But here's the tragedy of the matter. The tragedy is that out of 100,000 people, a very small number of us will ever go on to make our lives count and accomplish the purpose for which God has created us. Far too many of us in this room here this morning will twiddle our lives away as toothpickers or ear scratchers. Or we will simply end up getting swept away in the trash. So what's the difference? What's the difference between people who make their lives count and people who live as a wasted paper clip? I mean, how is it that some people really make their lives count for eternity, for God, while other people more or less just waste their lives, and they end up getting swept away in the trash of society. What makes the difference? Well, we're going to look at the life of Moses for the answer to that question. Most people consider Moses one of the greatest people in all of the Old Testament, and rightfully so. Just consider the life of Moses with me for a moment, a snapshot 
of Moses is he led the children of Israel out of 400 years of slavery in Egypt. And it was no small amount of people. Estimates say it was probably 2 million people or more that he led out of Egypt into the promised land. He received the Ten Commandments from God. He wrote the first five books of the Bible you have in your hands here this morning. I mean, he was one of the greatest people ever to make his life count for eternity. Was Moses perfect? Oh, man, no way. No way. Not even close. Let me tell you, this guy made his fair share of mistakes. In fact, just consider it, he murdered an Egyptian and then he fled the scene. He disobeyed God in a fit of anger. And the consequence for that was he could not enter into the promised land. He lost his patience with the children of Israel. And who wouldn't, by the way? I know I would. But this guy was not perfect. In many ways, he was simply an ordinary person just like you and I. And yet through it all, Moses made his life count for God. So what was the difference? The difference was Moses settled four key issues in his life. He settled the issue of his identity. He settled the issue of responsibility. He settled the issue of priority. And he settled the issue of difficulty. And these are the same four issues we must settle in our lives if we are going to make our lives count. Because here's the deal. If we don't settle these issues, we will be nothing more than a wasted paperclip. So let's look at it. Four issues to settle in our life. Number one is the issue of identity. Who am I? Who am I? Moses was born a Hebrew slave. But let me tell you, he was raised as Pharaoh's grandson in Pharaoh's palace, which was the most opulent place in the world at that time. But this led to an identity crisis in his life. Moses came to a point where he had to decide, who am I? Am I Jewish or am I Egyptian? Am I a slave or am I royalty? And the result of that decision would impact the rest of Moses' life. Just consider the decision, the choice that Moses had to make. If he chooses to say, I am Pharaoh's grandson, listen, he, he would have fame. He has fortune. He has a life of luxury. He has a promising career as heir to the throne of Egypt. But if he chooses to say, I'm a Hebrew slave, he'll be rejected, despised, humiliated, thrown out of the palace, and he'll live the rest of his life as a slave. So what does Moses choose? Look again with me at Hebrews 11, verse 24. It tells us what he chooses It says, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Notice that word refused. It means to disown, to reject, to leave no door open. In other words, Moses settled the identity issue once and for all in his life when he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And like Moses, let me tell you, every one of us here this morning faces an identity crisis sooner or later. We all want to know the answer to the question, who am I? Most people can't describe themselves. And if we were to throw this question out to the audience like you this morning and have you answer it, 
most of us would have a hard time answering the question, who am I? In other words, we wouldn't necessarily answer that question, but we would sure know how to describe ourselves. We would describe ourselves, many of us, through our jobs of what we do. But really, who are we, though? You see, most of us don't really know who we are. Most of us, we lack a sense of who God made us to be. And so we wander through life like a wasted paperclip instead of really, truly making our lives count for eternity. We long to know who we are. And that's why everyone searches for a clear identity. Some people seek their identity in their career, their place of employment. That's what they're known as. That's what they're known by. It is their identity. Some people find their identity and seek it in their relationships. Other people search for their identity in possessions, the stuff that they hold on to. While careers, relationships, and possessions, listen, they're important aspects of our lives. I'm not downplaying that, but they don't last forever. In fact, when we seek our identity in places other than Jesus Christ, let me tell you, we will find ourselves empty inside. So we have a choice. Like Moses had a choice. Listen, we can bounce from relationship to relationship, from possession to possession, from career to career in this frustrating quest for our identity or, or... Listen, we can choose something different. We can choose to embrace God's invitation to a new identity that gives our lives purpose and meaning and satisfaction. Now, I'm telling you, God's invitation is worthwhile. It's something to consider. It's something we ought to look at seriously and hard. Notice it with me. God's invitation to a new identity is this. It's to lose your self-identity in this world is to give it up. Is to lose your self-identity in this world and find your identity in Christ. Listen, so many people end up wasting their lives because they're trying to find their self-identity in this world. But God invites us to lose that identity. And find our new identity in Christ. Remember what Jesus said. We learned this a couple of weeks ago in the first message. What he said in Mark chapter 8, verses 35 and 36. He says, for whoever desires to save his life, what will he do? Lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospels will what? He'll save it. In other words, he'll find it. For what will a profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Listen, the invitation to become a follower of Christ is an invitation to a new identity in Christ. When you become a Christian, your identity changes. According to 2 Corinthians 5.17, the Bible tells us when you come to Christ and receive him, you become a new Person, You've been made new through your relationship with Christ and your old identity is dead. I love what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. Look at it, it's in your notes. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. In other words, when we come to Christ, we lose our self-identity. 
It's no longer I who lives, but who? But Christ lives in me. In other words, it's not self-identity anymore. It's Christ-identity. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Listen, one of the greatest truths that has impacted my life in the last 15 years with this idea of finding your identity in Christ is that we, we have this new identity when we come to Christ, and that is we are children of God. You say, what, what's, what's the meaning? What's the concept behind being a child of God? The basic meaning is when we come to Christ and we invite him into our hearts, we submit our lives to him. Listen, we're in Christ. Yes, he's in us, but I like the better concept, we're in him. And what the issue is, man, when we come to Christ, God, our Father, our Heavenly Father, our Creator, no longer sees me as what? He no longer sees me as a sinner. But He now sees me as a son, as an heir to the throne with Christ Jesus. I'm telling you, that's my identity. My identity is not myself. Listen, we, we live in a society that's all about self-improvement, self this, self that. But where's it getting us? I mean, how's that working for the world? To improve yourself. I don't know about you, but I know myself. It's all full of sin and junk. There's not a lot to improve there. How can you improve on sin? In self. I don't need a new self-identity. I need Christ's identity. I need His identity. I need His character in what He can do for me. And what he does do for me, I am in Christ Jesus. That is my identity. And that's how God sees me now. There is no condemnation. He doesn't see me as a sinner anymore. He sees me as his son. I'm a child of the king. I'm a daughter you are. That's the identity we need to settle. You say, well, just how important is this? Oh, man, I, I love what 2 Corinthians 6, 18 says here. It says, I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Moses settled the identity issue when he basically said, I am not the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I am the son of the Lord Almighty. Moses gave up his self-identity in what Egypt could offer to him. And instead, he found his identity as a child of God. And you say, well, just how important is this? How critical is this in making your life count? Do you remember what we learned two Sundays ago on what the unwasted life is? The essence of making your life count is just that. It's living the unwasted life. And that, in essence, is is magnifying Jesus Christ. That's the heart of what it means to make your life count. To magnify Christ. I'm in Christ. And so my whole goal now is I'm in him. Is to magnify him to the world. That's the essence of what it means. To live this unwasted life. But get this. You can't magnify Christ. Until you first find your identity in Christ. And then think of it this way. The way. 
we magnify Christ. Folks, really, it's a, it, you could boil it down to this. It's really living out our identity in Christ. It's not living out my self-identity. I magnify Christ by living out Christ's identity because I'm in Him and He's radically changed me from the inside out. But that's only possible when we lose, when we refuse our self-identity in this world and we find our identity in Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, have you settled this issue? Do you know how to answer the question, who am I? How would you answer that this morning? Are you a son? Of this world. Because that's how we're all born physically into this world. We are a son of the world in essence. And we have to refuse that. And we have to choose to become sons and daughters of God Almighty. We need a change of identity if we're going to make our lives count. So, that's the first issue to settle. The second issue you must settle, number two, is responsibility. What will I choose in life? What will I choose? Look what Moses chose in Hebrews 11.25. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. If you want to make your life count, it's your choice. You have to take responsibility. You must accept responsibility for what you choose in life. In verse 24, it's interesting, we have Moses refusing. And in the next verse, verse 25, we have Moses doing what? Choosing now. He follows a negative action with a positive action. In verse 23, God chose Moses as a baby. Remember verse 23, it says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because he saw he was a beautiful child. And they were not afraid of the king's command. God had a special plan for Moses. And by his parents' faith, they hid him for three months and then sent him down the Nile River where he was found by the Pharaoh's daughter. And so in verse 23, God chose Moses as a baby, but in verse 25, Moses had to make a choice. He chose God. Notice in verse 24 this phrase, when he became of age, the NIV says when he had grown up. You know, a mark of maturity, or at least one mark of maturity, is when you start accepting responsibility for the choices you make in life. We we try to teach our kids that, don't we? Listen, I'm still in process of trying to teach Tyler and Jack that. It's amazing how you don't have to teach your children to blame other people and make excuses, isn't it? The hardest thing in the world is to take responsibility for our own actions and attitudes and choices we make in life. It is a constant struggle to learn to do that. Let me give you three facts of life here. Number one is I can't live off other people's spiritual commitment. I can't live off other people's spiritual commitment. You've probably heard people say, oh man, my parents were Christians. Isn't that good enough? My wife is a believer. Listen, so what? That's your parents. That's your wife. What about you? Listen, you need a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You need a new identity in Christ. 
You can't live off someone else's spiritual commitment. You must take the initiative for your own faith. In essence, you must respond to God and His love through His Son, Jesus Christ, if you want to make your life count. The second fact of life is I can't blame other people for the direction in my life. We do, but it doesn't matter. Our society says the exact opposite of this. Our society says, oh, it's not your fault. You're simply the victim of your environment. Blame other people for your messed up life. Someone once said, when you're blaming others, you're being lame. Did you get that? Let me say it again. When you're blaming others, you're being lame. True, you can't control all your circumstances, can we? But we can choose how we'll respond to them. Just ask Joseph. He's a great example of someone who succeeded in spite of his circumstances. And then number three, no one can waste my life except me. No one can waste my life except me. Accepting responsibility for this fact is often the difference between people who make their lives count and people who end up living as another wasted paperclip. So if you want to make your life count, you must settle the identity issue. Who am I? And the responsibility issue. What will I choose in life? The third issue you must settle is priority. The priority issue. What is most important in life? What's most important? Look what Moses considered most important in verse 26. Look what it says. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Now notice that word regarded. It means to evaluate, to consider, to weigh in the balance, to judge. In other words, it's not something you do rather quickly. You need to stop and seriously consider. We all do. It does us good if we would just stop, even in the service here this evening or this morning at the conclusion of it, to stop and seriously consider, what am I living for? What is most important in my life? What do I value most in this life? Most people, or Moses regarded, what is most important and what is not important. Most people never seriously do this. And that's why they end up wasting their lives. Now, why, why is this priority issue such a huge one to settle? Why is this so important? Because if you don't decide what is most important in your life, other people will do it for you. Have you found that out yet? How other people will decide what's most important for you if you don't decide it for yourself. Listen, the world is more than happy to pressure you into its mold and to promote its value system on you. And unfortunately, there are a lot of believers in our country today, especially, who know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, but they've bought into the world's value system, and now they're living by that value system. You say, well, what is the world's value system now that we're on it? What is it? Let me tell you, it hasn't changed much in in the course of history. Since the beginning of Adam and Eve, the world's value system is basically the same. The world values power and prestige, does it not? Hey, I want to be famous. I want to be in control. First of all, I want to be in control of my own life. And then once I get a taste of that, let me be in control of you. 
That's what the world values. They also value pleasure. Listen, I want to feel good. I want to be happy. I want to have fun. They value possessions. I want to be rich. I want more stuff. I mean, what's ironic is that Moses, by the world's value system, let me tell you, he had made it. He had it all. He had all three of these things. Moses had power and prestige. As the son of Pharaoh's daughter, he was heir to the throne of the most powerful country in the world at that time. Moses had power and prestige. He also had pleasure. He lived in Pharaoh's palace. Let me tell you, he could satisfy every desire in his life. And oh, how he had access to possessions. He had the treasures of Egypt at his fingertips. Moses had it all. He had power, pleasure, and positions. And yet he walked away from it all. Just think about this for a moment with me. Moses walked away from the three things most people in this world spend their life trying to acquire. Now, why would Moses do that? If most of the world spends their life here on this earth trying to acquire those three things, why would Moses walk away from it? What in the world would motivate him to do this? Simple. Moses knew none of those things last. He knew the world's values don't last, but God's values last for eternity. And so Moses rejected the world's measure of success. He rejected the world's pleasures, and he rejected the world's treasures. So if he rejected that value system, then what did Moses value as most important in his life? Look at it in your notes. Moses values system was this and it was priority number one magnifying christ was more valuable than the world's prestige pleasure and possessions go back to verse 26 look at it again did you catch what it says about moses here it says he regarded disgrace for the sake of who christ as of greater value. In other words, we could say it this way. Moses regarded magnifying Christ as his greatest value in life. Just like the Apostle Paul that we learned two Sundays ago, Moses' highest priority was magnifying Jesus Christ. That's the essence of making Your life counts. Now, don't miss an important point here. The writer of Hebrews is emphasizing in Moses' life. He's emphasizing as well that Moses said yes to God and no to the values of the world. You see, we often forget this principle. That when you say yes to God, it also means saying no to some other things. How many of you found that it's easier to say yes to God than it is to say no to other things? Am I the only one? You see, here's most Christians. We want Christ. But here's the caveat. We want Christ plus all the things of the world. So we try to tack Christ onto our lives. And we try to make a little time for God on Sunday mornings. But what did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? Do you remember that? If you go to Matthew chapter 6, 
Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. And then Jesus explained to us why that is so true. Because you will either, what, hate the one and love the other, or else you will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You see, the problem for a lot of Christians is we are afraid of saying no to the world's value system. But get this, what, what you lose when you don't say no is your happiness. It's your joy and satisfaction in life because compromise only makes you miserable when you're trying to live for the Lord and for the world at the same time. We will just be miserable believers. So let me encourage you, and, I, and for myself as well, we need to learn to say no. We need to learn to say with conviction, listen, I'm not going to buy into the world's value system that says life consists of power, pleasure, and possessions to make me happy. And instead, magnifying my Savior is what's most important in my life. You see, that was Moses' priority. And that's why, when it was all said and done, he made his life count. So again, what motivated Moses? What made him live this way? Because I don't know about you, we need a motivation that's bigger than ourselves. That goes beyond what this world has to offer. Look at it. At the end of verse 26, it says, Because he was looking ahead to his what? In the NIV, it says his reward. In other words, Moses had perspective. What motivates you to reject the world's value system and magnify Christ as your highest priority? It's your perspective. It's all in what you're looking at. Are you looking at the the here and now? What we can see with our, our earthly eyes? Or are you looking at eternity? You see, most people live for the here and now. Most people are totally unaware that they're going to spend a whole lot more time in eternity than the 60, 70, 80 years they're going to live on this earth. And let me tell you, that's not wise. Understand, your values are determined so much by your vision. So whatever you're looking at is what becomes most important in your life. What are you looking at? What is your perspective? Is it only what you see in front of your face? What we touch and feel in this world? Or do you have an eternal perspective? Do you have God's perspective that there's an eternity, that this life is but a vapor in comparison to the the next side of death? Which brings us to our last issue to settle. If you want to make your life count, then we must also settle the issue of difficulty. Am I willing to persevere to the end? Look what verse 27 says about Moses. By faith, he left Egypt. Not fearing the king's anger, he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Moses had tremendous perseverance. He refused to give up no matter what kind of difficulties he faced. And life teaches us, and it doesn't take long to learn this lesson, that no one is exempt from difficulties. Can we all say amen to that? Yeah. Everyone, everyone faces their share of difficulties on the road of life. Do we not? 
And probably the greatest difficulties that Moses faced were delays and detours, which caused Moses to spend most of his life waiting. How many hate to wait? I despise waiting. We go out to eat every Friday night. Kind of a family tradition. And I tell my wife, if we can't leave the house by 5.15, then we're not eating out. Or we're going to McDonald's, which I despise as well. Because <laughs> I don't want to wait. I don't want to wait in a crowded lobby full of people to go get a table. I know, it's a personality issue. It's my own problem, but I, most people hate to wait. Well, get this. From the time that God told Moses to set his people free from 400 years of slavery to the time it was fulfilled when they entered the promised land, get this, it was 80 years. Can you wait that long and not give up? If God tells you something and it doesn't happen until 80 years later, would you persevere to the end? And isn't it ironic? Our average lifespan is about how long? 80 years. Moses spent, get this, Moses spent 40 years in Midian just waiting for God to say, start. And then he spent another 40 years wandering around the desert waiting for a bunch of faithless, grumbling Israelites to die off. You ever get tired of waiting on God? Do the difficulties of delays and detours tempt you to give up? Do you realize there's a difference between God's no and God's not yet? Listen, God's no's are not God's denials. God's delays are not God's denials. In fact, one of the tests of our faith is that God often is asking, how long can you wait? How long will you wait on me? So how do we persevere in the face of difficulties? Let me offer you a suggestion right out of the text here. By focusing on Jesus. By focusing on Jesus and relying on His power his provision and promises. Look again at verse 27. It says, By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered, and then it tells us how. Because he saw him who is invisible. That is, Moses saw Christ with spiritual eyes of faith. And of course, Christ had not yet come to the earth at this time, so Moses was looking forward to the coming of Christ. We, on the other hand, Christ has already come and he's died and resurrected. So we look with spiritual eyes to Christ's death, but we also look forward to his coming again, do we not? It's interesting that you go to the very next chapter of Hebrews. We're in chapter 11. And if you turn over to the page of chapter 12, the very two first verses of chapter 12 talk about this very issue. When it says, Therefore... We also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay, every, lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How? By looking unto Jesus, 
who is the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. How do you persevere in the face of difficulties? By focusing on Jesus Christ and then relying on his power, provision, and promises. Listen, have you ever felt like you just can't go on in life? You ever felt like, listen, I just can't persevere anymore. You don't want to quit. You're not, you're trying to focus on Jesus. You're trying to persevere. But the difficulties in your life right now are so overwhelming, you don't know how you can possibly go on another day. I don't know about you, but it doesn't take long to figure out. I'm not strong enough to persevere. I'm not strong enough to persevere on my own. Yes, we focus on Jesus Christ, and that provides our motivation. But folks, you need his power. You need his provision. And we need to rely on his promises to persevere to the end. And let me tell you, perseverance is essential to making your life count. It doesn't do any good to start strong and then fail miserably. Perseverance is key. It's essential if you don't want to end up as just another wasted paperclip. So how many of these issues have you settled in your life? Have you settled the issue of identity? Have you settled this issue of responsibility, the issue of priority, and this issue of difficulty? You know, as we close here, I'll be honest with you. I struggle with these issues, as I'm sure most of you do. And as I sit and evaluate my own struggles with these four issues, and trying to ask myself, why, why is it that I sometimes struggle with these And maybe we struggle, what happens is we probably struggle with one or two more than we do the others. And so why is that so? Why do we seem to struggle with these issues in life? And I think it really all comes down to one issue. And that is the issue of faith. We're simply not willing to trust God in these four issues of our life. It takes faith. That's why when it comes to settling these four issues and making your life count, the key is exercising your faith. Because without faith, it is impossible to make your life count. I don't know. You, you, you can't help but notice the repetition of faith in this passage, can you? Did you notice it? Did you catch it? In Moses' life, five times in seven verses, it says, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. By faith, if you're going to make your life count, listen to me, then you've got to exercise your faith, especially in these four issues of your life. Without faith, it is impossible to make your life count. Now, we began this morning with the rise and fall of the paperclip. So let me see your paperclips again. Hold them up. Got your paperclips? Here's my challenge as we close. You, you can hold them down. I want to challenge you to keep your paper clip. 
In fact, use it as, as, as uh, Kurt did. Mark Hebrews chapter 11 with your paperclip. Reread this chapter. Let this paperclip be a reminder. I'm going to make my life count. Now, I know many of you this morning will do that. But the reality is, some of you won't. In fact, some people here will discard their paperclip. Some people will lose their paperclip before they even get home today. In fact, I'm sure when Christy cleans this auditorium next Friday, that she will find several paperclips like these on the floor. And they will end up getting swept away in the trash. And they will simply add to the growing number of wasted paper clips throughout history. Listen, the challenge this morning is don't let those wasted paper clips be a symbol of your life. Instead, exercise your faith. And like Moses, make your life count for eternity. We're going to close a little differently this morning. I've asked Sarah to come, and she's going to sing a song. And I, man, I, I just want to encourage you to listen to the words of this song as she sings. a quill and ink and there's plenty of room for writing in all we do and believe and think so will you compose a curse or will today bring the blessing fill the page with rhyming verse or some random sketching Teach us to count the days Teach us to make the days count Lead us in better ways Somehow our souls forgot Life means so much Life means so much Life means so much Every day is a bank account Time is our currency So no one's rich, nobody's poor We get 24 hours each So how are you gonna spend? Will you invest or squander? Try to get ahead Or help someone who's under Teach us to count the days Teach us to make the days count Lead us in better ways Somehow our souls forgot Life means so much Life means so much Life means so much Has anybody Just to count the day. 
challenge, isn't it? We only get so many days in our life. Make them count. Make your life count. And it's not making your life count for your own kingdom, for yourself. Listen, it's making your life count for what's going to last for eternity. And that happens when we magnify Christ by the way we live. That's the challenge. And if we will do that, listen, God has promised a reward. There is a reward for it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you for our time together. We thank you for the example of Moses' life. Lord, I appreciate the fact this guy wasn't perfect. He blew it big time. And yet, because of the choices he made, because of settling these four issues in his life, he made it count for you. And Lord, we want to do the same. And I pray that's our heart's desire. I pray we will take hold of this, we will embrace these truths, and we will seriously consider each of these issues in our life. And as Sarah saying, teach us to number our days and to consider how we use them each and every day. Are we magnifying you, Lord, or are we simply magnifying ourselves in this world? Lord, give us the grace and the faith that we need to do just that, of magnifying our Savior. We pray these things in your Son's name. Amen.